Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to today's episode. We have a special guest today. It is Derek Dombeck. Derek, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. Absolute pleasure. I am uh, really excited to get into the show. It's about my favorite topic, real estate. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we start off with uh, a brief bio or a descriptive bio of who you are, what you do, how you got into it. Uh, brief bio. I, I live in Wisconsin and... I came up as, you know, construction worker. Uh, when I was in my early 20s, I bought my first house that was a fixer-upper to live in. And a few years later, we, we started doing that for a business. And that led to um, a, a very quick growth. So I started in 2003 and grew to about $4 million in real estate assets by 2007 when the markets crashed. And then uh, my $4 million in assets went to about a million dollars. So we, we had to either quit or learn how to get creative. And I don't believe in quitting. So moving forward, 2009, 10, 11, 12, we um, took on partners. There, there, there wasn't any bank in the world that was going to lend to me anymore. So learning how to use creative deal structuring, um, purchasing subject to existing financing or with Seller financing, land contracts, options, leases, all that fun stuff became my my obsession, and I got really good at it. So that that kind of led me up to uh, today. I, I currently uh, have a business partner named Jeff that I met back in about 2012. We still buy and sell real estate. We run a, a lending company, which is an arbitrage business. We raise private capital and lend it out to uh, to house flippers and landlords. And yeah, that's. Brings us up to speed, John. Fantastic. Now, what would you say? Like, look, okay, you, you got a point there, right? So your four million turned into one million. And to be honest, that's probably not as bad of a hit as many people got in that year. Um, sadly to say. Um, I'm fortunate and I mean I'm Canadian and we didn't have that problem. We for us it was more of just a pause in the market and less of a downturn. Um but yeah, that must have stung. And I mean, good for you. I mean, the perseverance actually shows. I mean, and, and it shows that it pays off. So that's, that, you know, good for you for, you know, to continue doing it and all that. But uh, my question is why real estate to begin with? Like, what, like, I mean, I mean, clearly the whole go to school, get a good education to get a good job really wasn't for you. <laughs> no, I, I joke all the time. I have a PhD and a, a really good work ethic, right? A public high school diploma and a great work ethic. And my PhD got me, you know, where I am today, mostly because I've always been really good with my hands. I've been really good at taking something that um, physically was just, you know, had, had problems and I could, I could bring it up in value. And I think when I bought that very first house, I was 20, 21 years old. Um, most of people my age didn't even have a clue about buying a, a house yet. They were in college or still living with their parents. And I took that, that fixer upper house and, and built up all this equity using my, my labor. And that was, I think enough to get me excited about it, knowing I could do it at, at that younger age. By the time I was in my, you know, 26, 27 year old area it wasn't a question of could i do it it was it was a question of how much and how big could i go 
So I think the desire came from that first fixer upper project, John, but it just lit, lit the match and eventually the mat lit match lit a fuse and, and then there was the explosion and, and I took off. Makes sense. Now you say you had a partner. Did you always have a partner? Or is this something you had after the fact? I, I did not have a partner before the real estate markets crashed uh, other than my wife, Tracy. And I took on and my first partner, essentially, I, I, I felt like that was the only way I could do it because I was still learning alternative methods. So I had this, this guy approach me and ask if I would, he didn't know anything, right? So I asked if I would partner and, and teach him the real estate game and we would use his credit and he would take out bank financing because there wasn't a bank that would lend to me anymore. So even though it, it worked short term, you know, two to three years, I was still stuck in using banks and, and I, I don't have anything against banks, but I realized we don't have any control over our businesses when we do use banks for everything, right? They have a purpose. Yeah. So moving on after that partnership dissolved, when I did meet my current partner, he, Jeff is his name. Jeff had never used a bank for any investment ever. And he started about two years after I did. And it, it just intrigued me. I'm like, how are you doing this without using banks? And it was a, a really great partnership that blossomed because we have different backgrounds, but very, very similar ideals and ethics and morals. So um, it grew from there and, and raising the private money that we did for our own deals led us to a point where we had more money than we had deals. So we didn't want to lose our investors. We had, at the same time, we had other friends that were looking for money. So we became the, the go-to people and it just grew and it grew and it grew to what it is today. Which is phenomenal. Like that, is, that that's great. Like that's a, that's a good story. I mean, and, and you, you showed how sometimes partnerships can work and the fact that everyone has a different role, right? Like, I mean, if everyone tried to do the exact same thing the same way, I'm sure there would be a, you know, some headbutting for lack of description. That was the biggest problem with my first partnership. We were too much alike. We were both good in the same areas and eventually the partnership did dissolve and it didn't dissolve very well. I mean, there was, well, we don't talk, let's put it that way. We don't talk anymore. And so I was gun shy going into that new partnership with Jeff. And this was, let's say a year and a half, two years later, but I guess I kind of felt like, like somebody has been through a divorce, right? You're, you're hesitant on your next relationship. So I, I wanted to make sure that Jeff and I covered everything that we could think of negatively in our partnership agreement before we ever bought a single piece of real estate together. So we talked about death, divorce, um, you know, what happens if, if we just start hating each other, who's got decision making, who, who controls the checkbook and the bank accounts. And I mean, you name it, everything we could think of. And we built that in. We built our, our business partnership as if we were getting married to each other instead of what I feel like a lot of partnerships are just a one night stand. You know, I know so many people that will just absolutely jump into a partnership without any due diligence and you're sharing assets, you're sharing money, and then they're shocked when it goes bad. Yeah, that's true, actually. 
Right? Uh, sometimes, you know, people think that the idea is so big it can't fail. And uh, a lot of times the idea isn't the problem. Correct. So with that being said, now you guys uh, have been, how long is, well, 2008 was when you had the problem. Um, so you've been going ever since. So we're now in 2023. It's been quite a long time. So mm-hmm. what would you say? Like, what, like, like, what do you invest mostly? Are you guys doing flips? Are you guys doing buy and holds? Um, we have a mixture, but primarily I don't do a lot of flipping anymore. If I get a property under contract that would be a good flip, I'll, I'll usually wholesale it to one of my clients and then borrow them the money to buy it and fix it up. So I make a little bit on the front end. I, I get, we get paid twice, right? Um, but it's a win-win. And, and then we cherry pick anything that we want to keep and hold. Um, we'll put that into our portfolio. But at, at this point, we're also starting to look at buying existing businesses, cash flowing businesses, more so than, than just houses or, or rental property. Um, that is a, another viable way to get mailbox money. Yeah, that, that's interesting. That's an interesting perspective. Um, now, I'm going to get into that. But before I get into that, like, so in terms of the uh, investments you buy, like the houses and stuff, like, are you buying single family homes? You buying duplexes, triplexes, or do you, are you know, or do you get uh, larger than that, or kind of a mix? Um, it's a mix, but the the majority of it would be single family houses. I, I've always I've always liked them better. I just feel like they're easier to liquidate if I want to liquidate quicker. And often I might hold a property for two to three years and put a tenant uh, buyer into the property on a a lease with an option to purchase. And it's harder to do that with a a duplex or a triplex. Right, right, right. So, So yeah, so you're you're into stuff that you can sort of grab, hold on to for a bit and then quickly flip around. Yep. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. John, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm gun shy from what happened in, in the 2000s. But when I first started in 2003, everything we bought, we held on to. Like that was our, that's what we were taught to do by our original yes. mentors. And, and that was great until it wasn't. So I've now, I, I just look at things differently. Yes, I want to hold some assets for longer periods of time, but. I'm in kind of that two to five year window, right? Cause things change. Like we have one project right now. It's a 12 unit building. Uh, we, we lease it out per bedroom per week. It's got shared common areas. Um, you know, a couple kitchens. The design is to be for traveling nurses and, and construction workers, you know, a cheaper alternative to staying in a hotel. And, right. It's great. We've we've had it up and running for about a year and four months. We're proving it. It's working in that location in that area, um, increasing its its uh, value through proving its you know net income. But if somebody offered to buy that tomorrow, I wouldn't even hesitate. I'd sell it on a heart, in a heartbeat. Um, just because, what if something changes? What if that city? decides, eh, we don't like short-term rentals, right? There's there's just, things can change. And ideally, I would like to sell on terms. I, I do like taking payments over time. I, I still want the cash flow. I just don't want to deal with the, the joys of management. So right. I'd like to build up a business, build up a, a rental, 
or a single family house, put somebody in that pays me and with minimum management. Makes sense. Now, what are the rental, like I'm assuming that uh, most of your investments are in Wisconsin. The majority, yes. Yeah. Right. What are the rental laws uh, there? Well, they're not horrible. I mean, we have in the United States, we have some really tough areas to be a landlord in. Ours are not horrible. We've a typical eviction. If a tenant stops paying you is going to take 30 to 45 days and it's going to cost you several hundred dollars to get it done. Um, but it, there are, you know, we, we live in a cold part of the country as do you. There's, there's always these, these ideas or these rumors that you, you can't evict or, or get rid of a tenant during the winter months or, and all that is not true whatsoever in our area. I mean, we can, we can evict on Christmas day if the courthouse is open, you know, but. Well, exactly. I, I, I think that's a horse crap anywhere. I think yeah. that laws only, you just can't turn their heat off. And I think that's about the only restriction. Correct. Yes. The utility companies have that restriction. I believe it's from November 1st until April 1st here in Wisconsin. So. Yeah, exactly. But in terms of a victim, so, like you said, if it's open, sign next, on. Week, next week, there's going to be a whole bunch of people getting their utilities shut off. <laughs> Got a good point there. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And it, I, you know, and that's why I was asking, right? Cause I mean, you were indicating that you like a lot of short term rentals. So I was trying to figure out, is that a preference or is the, uh, is your uh, state not as landlord friendly as some others? No, it's, it's really a preference. Um, all in all, I, I'm pretty happy with our, our laws. There's there's a few that could be a little bit nicer towards the landlords. It, it's actually not the laws that are the problem. It's if you do end up in front of a judge, every judge has got a different, um, what's the word, reading of the law, right? Right. So I've had a few times, and I've not had to go to court often, but I've had a few times where it, it should have been absolutely cut and dried, black and white and you know the tenant started crying or telling their sob story and and the tenant or the judge fell for it and before you know it it costs us money so i try to avoid court at at all costs if i can of course that makes sense so yeah like where i am there's a uh it's really not landlord friendly whatsoever Mm -hmm. it's um kind of horrible um, especially there's a backlog with the landlord and tenant board too. So <laughs> it could take like 11 months for someone to even get in front of somebody. Wow. Horrible, just horrible. Um, now that's why in terms of investments, I like commercial property because they don't share mm-hmm. the uh, restrictions that residential does. Correct. So. And we have the same thing with our commercial property. In, in fact, our lending company, we only lend on commercial loans, you know, even if somebody's buying a, a, a single family house, it's still a commercial loan. They can't live in the house. If they live in the house, now it becomes a consumer loan and we fall into a completely different set of guidelines of foreclosure standpoint. So very similar in, in the, the rental space, you know, commercial versus uh, residential yeah. on the property. Yep. absolutely makes sense okay so now that i got a clear indication of that so now yeah you said you're a little bit uh, jaded from your experience with 2008 which is why you don't like the buy and hold as much i'm still a buy and hold 
fan, but I do believe that uh, that comes with times. Is it like like it's easy when everything's going up and up and up and up. In today's terms, today's uh, environment, I'd be a little bit more uh, open to uh, options, for lack of better description, right? And uh, I, I'm a fan of the short term rental as well because you can charge more per night. And there's less restrictions in terms of uh, evictions and stuff. You don't have to worry about that. Um, one thing that appeals to me is student rentals. As you know, they're gone come uh, May, June. So yeah. worst case scenario is you got them till June. That's the worst case scenario. Yeah. I think when my mindset shifted, John, was when we did get into the lending space. And so Jeff had pointed something out to me early on in our partnership because my goal was to have 100 rental units that cash flowed $100 a door, which I would make $10,000 a month. Like this is 2003, right? This is what everybody was taught. You should just get 100 rental units, blah, blah, blah. And ironically, I still hear that same pitch today, which the dollar amounts haven't changed. Um, and there's you know, people out there t trying to teach newbies to go get a hundred doors and make a hundred dollars a door and you make $10,000 a month and live the good life. Except how much time does it take to manage a hundred rental units? It, you know, arguably, arguably it's a full-time or more job just to do that. And my business partner asked me this simple question and I didn't necessarily know the answer when he asked, but he said, how much time do you think it takes to manage a hundred loans versus a hundred rental units? And the answer can be a couple hours a month and you can do it from anywhere, no matter where you are with a laptop or your phone. Right. True. So it was a shift for me that that's part of why I don't like holding long-term real estate, but I don't have a problem holding long-term payments or notes. Um, the downside is real estate appreciates, notes depreciate and pay off. And then yes. you have to redeploy money. And, you know, in the United States, we get tax benefits from holding real estate and depreciating it and, and things of that nature. So we do have to hold a certain amount of assets just to offset our, our gains within our lending company because the IRS in the United States, they like to collect their taxes as <laughs> much as they can. And uh, we like to pay our fair share as long as our fair share is as low as possible. Right. That makes sense. Now, that's the other thing what I like about uh, multiplexes. What I mean by multiplexes, I'm talking about beyond the whole fourplex, sixplex and stuff. I'm talking about apartment buildings. Like we're, we're, we're talking about the minimum 48 units, 100 units, 320, stuff like that. That stuff appeals to me because um, that's even if it's $100 a door, like you said, mm -hmm. and we'll just say a 48 unit, you're already, uh, you know, that's already a, that's like $48,000 a month with very right. little uh, like difference versus when you're doing a fourplex, a threeplex, a twoplex or whatever, you know, like you're chasing people and it's a lot more work, like you said, mm -hmm. which comes the elephant in the room. How the hell do you get qualified to get the money you need for a 48 unit or more? And that is where you got to put in the time and work because no one's going to just give you money offhand just like that without any experience. 
So that's a lot harder. I do realize that, but I'm just saying that's what appeals to me in the real estate versus uh, single family homes. I typically don't like single family homes unless it's for myself to live in. Yeah, I, I would I would counter, counter that comment that you made, though, respectfully. It's only more difficult if you believe it's more difficult. And so I, I spent the last couple of days um, of last week at a conference in Dallas, which was a room full of, of real estate syndicators. And the whole point of that is syndicating and raising money to pool together and go in, whether it's buying apartment complexes or in my case, lending it out or oil and natural gas wells, or you know, it doesn't matter, right? So I would feel like if that was your goal, if you wanted to get into multiplexes, learn the, the processes and procedures of raising money and syndicating and become an expert in that and then go find the money, I don't think it'll be as hard as you think. Certainly, no. it's, it's, it's work. It takes effort for sure. But if you find a good deal, um, there's, there's a lot of money sitting out there right now. At least in the U.S., um, there's been some banking um, issues. There's been stock market issues. There's, there's people that have cash sitting around that are looking somewhere to put it that's safe or safer at least. True. Absolutely. Like, don't get me wrong. When I say it's harder, I meant for an individual. If you're syndicating, yeah. then you got to pull things. I mean, I'm just saying, as an individual, if you come out there with no experiences, no, you know, no, no track record, uh, limited amount of money, and you're just trying to borrow that money to do it all on your own, people are going to be hard pressed to lend that to you as an individual. Where if you're syndicating, like you said, that opens up a lot more doors that were not available to you as an individual. But you, you just said a key word, if you're trying to do it alone, and that was the biggest mistake I made, John, in the first half of my career, because I didn't build a network. I didn't try and find anybody to collaborate with until it was too late. The second half of my career, I've been all about networking and all about building that. That's why I love jumping on these shows and, and getting to meet people like you who are hosting great podcasts. It's building my network we get to spend time together, get to know each other. And if you need something next week or I need something next week, we can reach out to each other. That is, that's how a new person in this space doesn't necessarily have to have the money or the experience. Go out and start networking with the people that do have the experience and the money, but bring something of value. Maybe it's just your time. Maybe you're just sweeping floors and, and following them around like a puppy dog you know, doing anything you can. If I was brand new and that's how, you know, I was starting out and I didn't know where to start, I would absolutely go and find somebody local that you can donate your time to and and learn and get connected. Great advice. Actually, that is really good advice. And that's a great way to do it. You're right. Absolutely. And now it brings up another question. I mean, like when it comes to your investments and stuff, do you... Are you like strictly in the United States alone or have you gone outside of the you know, United States? Well, we could raise money throughout the United States based off of our the way our fund is drafted with, uh, you know, we're regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission. So that's that's typically based off of the United States investors. If we brought in investors from out of country, then 
I would have to look into it. I would assume that if you had an entity or some kind of a business in Canada and you want to invest in a business in the United States, there would be some transfer documents so that the money is tracked so that, you know, those lovely governments can get their share. Um, but beyond that, wouldn't be an issue. Right, right. So, okay. So, yeah. So, you guys, uh, you haven't done anything yet, but it's not that it's closed off. Correct. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's closed off at all. Um, I mean, if any of your listeners are, are interested in, in learning about what I do and how I do it, and, and that's a possibility, I'm all ears. I'm, I'm, again, it's just networking, not me soliciting for, for private money as much as educating them and myself. I, I wouldn't mind learning the process. That makes sense. Well, that's cool. All right. So with that being said, when you, uh, like, I mean, we know we've been talking about your challenges of, uh, you know, getting to where you, you, you are now and how you got there. Mm-hmm. What would you say was the uh, moment where you triumphed or what I call an aha moment where like you have all that question in your head and that doubt and that constant uh, grind where you're trying to, mm-hmm. you know, get your mindset straight. But then you have a moment where you just sort of look up and not everybody has it, but I find most people, they just get that aha moment. Like, you know, like, hey, I'm on the right path. I did it. I mean, I may not be where I want to be, but at least I'm going in the right direction. Have you had that moment? I, I've had a couple of those moments. The first one was when I, I decided my wife and I weren't going to give up. Like there was an aha moment where we said, okay, everybody else in the United States is pointing their fingers at and blaming other people for all their losses. So I'm just going to go to my lenders, my banks, whoever I do business with, and I'm going to take full responsibility for everything that's happened with a plan on how we're going to solve it. And I quickly started to discover that I was in the 1% of United States citizens who were actually taking responsibility and everyone else was hiding from their problems. But it set me apart from everybody else. And so I had banks even though my credit was destroyed, I had banks that were still willing to work with me. And that's why I brought on that first partner because the banks weren't lending money to him based off of his strengths. They were lending it to him because his credit score was good, but they were lending it him mostly because I was backing him on my knowledge. So that was one aha moment. I, I learned how to talk to people and that just led to greater things down the road. The more recent aha moment was about four to five, four to five years ago. Um, I started a mastermind group that has since grown to three mastermind groups. And at that time, I had also joined one that I wasn't hosting. So mastermind group, the way I define it is a roundtable session, 15 to 20 people that are all collaborating with each other. There's not one person speaking and the rest learning. It's everybody is a board of advisors to each other. So when we started doing that, my business started to to increase, but what got even better was my personal life because my board of advisors were challenging me not only in business, but in life. You know, And one of my biggest aha moments And I don't talk about this one a whole lot because it's a little embarrassing, but it was, I thought I 
had to answer my phone 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or I would miss a deal. And if I miss a deal, I'm going to lose money. And if I lose money, I can't take care of my family. And one of my peers were sitting there. My, my wife was sitting next to me um, in tears, basically saying, hey, dumbass, your, your wife doesn't want more money. She wants more time. So when you're answering the phone, seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night, telling the kids to be quiet, daddy's on the phone, shushing them, you know, being kind of an asshole, honestly, if I can say that. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it for my family. I'm doing it to my family. And that hit me really hard. And so my peers challenged me to set office hours, which I know this sounds so simple. And how could I be in business for, you know, 15 years and not realize that myself? But I would challenge you that 99% of your listeners probably have the same problem, especially if they're real estate agents or real estate investors that are deal junkies like me, because we all feel like if we don't answer that call or that email or that text, we're going to miss a deal, right? But there's a lot of us out there that we screw up our, our, our lives. We, we end up divorced. We end up with kids that, that don't want to talk to us because we had to have that phone call or that text message or email. So it was, a, it was an aha moment that, um, you know, I got smacked upside the face with. I set office hours. I stick to them unless, you know, if I have a meeting in the evening or on a weekend, it's, it's because I checked with my family and made sure it didn't affect something within our family first. But business did not suffer at all. It actually improved. And it improved, John, because when you're accessible to people 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're not special. When you set office hours and you're only available nine to five, they will conform to your office hours. Let them take half a day off from work. Let them call you on their lunch break, whatever they have to do. And your life will get better. Your business will be fine. And I mean, it was it was simple, but life altering. Absolutely. See, I, I love what you just said there because I can kind of relate. Not kind of. I mean, I can relate to what you're talking about, right? It's uh, when I started in the real estate business or as an agent, I remember the first 18 months as an agent, I had the lowest amount of sales throughout my whole career, but I've seen more homes in that 18 months than I did in the last five years. And I'll give you an example. I went 18 months and I went through 4,300 homes or something stupid like that. Like, think about that. That's like doing 20 homes a day every day for 18 mm -hmm. months. And there wasn't a day I missed. And on top of that, throw in open houses that I did every single weekend, not one weekend missed, including Christmas holidays and all that. And I burnt out. Mm -hmm. And I completely burnt out to the point that I remember when I was looking at my last home that I bought out in uh, about in Grimsby, which is just a little west of where I am now. I remember there, it was about five years ago. I remember I was walking, not walking, driving. We were driving there. A, a colleague of mine was driving. And um, I had to puke when I just by looking at the for sale sign. Like, that's how sick it made me. Just seeing the for sale sign made me have to get out of the car on the side of the road and throw up. And it was all based on that experience of overwhelm overdoing everything going too far doing too much and 
constantly around the clock. I w- I'd be answering phone calls at three in the morning. Like it was horrendous. And I decided that that's not the way I want to live my life. Never again. And you're absolutely right. Because when you're out there, it's not just about the people that you're trying to attract to your business. It's also about finding the ones that you want to repel. Absolutely. Yeah. This way you're not wasting their time. They're not wasting your time. Right? Because there's going to be some people saying, hey, you're not answering my phone call. You know, it's 8.30 at night. You're not answering. Then I'm not going to deal with you. Then don't. Yes. Because you know what? It's better that way because I'll be angry when we have that conversation. And then eventually my emotions will control me. And then you're going to say, why are you giving me attitude? And it's not that I'm intending to give you attitude. It's just I'm super angry. And which means we don't get along. And we don't get along because we don't see eye to eye. So it's better that you find someone else that works with you better versus calling me. And it's better that I don't waste my time trying to please you when I know there's nothing I can do that will make you happy. Yes. And I would probably guess that nobody has ever had this conversation with you on your podcast because nobody wants to talk about this kind of stuff. Nobody wants to admit it. We all feel it. We all have the same challenges and the same problems. And this is what we do in our masterminds, right? Like we get vulnerable with each other and, and we just, you know, like we have people from all over the country. So nobody is in a competing market. I don't, I don't have multiple members from one city for a reason. I want to make sure that when people show up there, that they are playing all out, full on, vulnerable, lay it all on a table so we can all help each other. And, and that's the last five years we've done, I, I couldn't even make up the percentage, it, just an astronomical amount more in business and life than we did the first 15 years of my career. The momentum, the snowball effect, you know, we're, we're from up north. The snowball just grows and grows as it rolls down the hill. That That's what's happening. And it's, it's not that I want to make a lot more money. It's that I want to have a lot more time. And to do so, that momentum, it, it's our, for me, our growth is not to get bigger, bigger, bigger. It's to get better, better, better. 100%. I believe that uh, I believe in abundance and I believe there's plenty of business out there if you want it and you just got to go out there and get it and you get it by showing your value. 100%. That's fantastic. So with that being said, what do you, you know, what is in your uh, future? And what I mean is like, where do you see yourself going? Like from where you are, what's your projection? Um, projections. We, my business partner and I have, have been talking about this for a while. I, I do want to get to a point where we're helping other people set up their own lending companies. Um, it, it may be a franchise model. It may just be we help set them up and, and for a fee. But I, I really enjoy what we do. I really enjoy the way we do it. So when we raise private capital, we're changing people's lives. Um, when we're lending money to people, they're they're getting a loan from a, a great source and honestly i'm taking money away from wall street and i'm taking it off of you know out of the bank's hands and putting it into private individuals hands on both sides the private investors get better returns the private borrowers get what they need to go flip their houses we make a spread 
I just love the model. Makes sense. So in light of time, I'm going to give you two more questions before I go into what I call the lightning round. And question number two is going to be, how do you know you've had a successful day? Uh, <laughs> in my house, we, uh, we always call a successful day when nobody dies. And it's kind of a joke. Um, but I, I've got three kids and my wife and we, you know, we've got horses and, and kind of a small ranch. And so, um, we'll, we'll go out riding horses, come back and get off. And I'll just look at my daughters and I'm like, well, it was a good day. Nobody died. And, and <laughs> we all chuckle about it. Right. But the reality is if, if the sun's shining and the heart's beating, it's a successful day. Absolutely. Love that. Last but not least, how do people find you? And I believe you want to do, uh, share your, uh, you know, your book. Yeah. So anybody can reach out to me. My, my direct email access is my first name, Derek at bestreifunding.com. And if you do shoot me an email, um, we just put out this book in January called, uh, I got to find the camera. Here we go. Called next level your life. Okay. This book was a compilation with a bunch of awesome authors. Each one of us authors have a, uh, a chapter in the book, but we all went through some kind of adversity. Mine tells my, my start to finish story of from when I started investing through now and all the other struggles we went through. And the whole point of it is to, to help you next level your life, you know, show you what we've done and, and how you can imitate that. So, I'll absolutely give the electronic version away to any of your listeners. Just shoot me an email. Said, I heard you on John's show. And um, if you want to talk about real estate or talk about my lending company or how we you know, run an arbitrage business, just send me an email. I'll have my assistant block out some time on my calendar. And we'll, we'll jump on a phone call. So I just truly enjoy helping. That's fantastic. So after the lightning round, and I want to say thank you for that, by the way. Um, after the lightning round, which is just uh, two, three questions that are just little fun questions, like uh, what is your favorite food? Favorite food? I am a meat eater. So uh, I would say beef or venison or, or anything I can put, cook on a grill. I love the grill. Uh, my barbecuing is one of my favorite things as well. Favorite vacation spot and Why? Twofold. Uh, my wife loves the beach, so we we do like going to the Caribbean islands, like St. Martin, and and things to the beach. Uh, I'm I enjoy the mountains, so Montana is is more of my favorite vacation spot. So we just do both every year, and it's easier. We're both happy that way. That's fantastic. Now, um, second last question: favorite book or podcast? Favorite podcast has to be the John Peploni show. I mean, well, of course, <laughs> obviously. And, um, um, you know, for me, my favorite book still to date was written by Orrin Claff. Uh, it's called Pitch Anything. It was kind of transformational for me to learn how to actually talk to people. Uh, I've studied a lot of different authors and sales people. It, it's a passion of mine, and I don't think enough people spend enough time learning how to interact. And, Every day, every hour you're awake, you're in a negotiation with somebody. And that may just be your kids. But every social interaction is a negotiation. Makes sense. Last but not least, 
is if you had unlimited amount of money for 48 hours, what you spend, you get to keep and what you don't gets taken away. What would you do? I have a, a soft spot just because my wife and I had challenges having kids. So I'll, two of our three kids are adopted. Uh, our oldest was genetically ours. But I would spend as much money as humanly possible for 48 hours to help other families bring children home, whether it was adoption or, you know, fertility treatments or whatever it was, anything I could do in that 48 hours, I would, I would blow it all. That is amazing. Derek, this has been incredible. I wanted to say thank you for being on the show. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I, I love it, John. Like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below.